do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You're going to listen to an interview with Jesse Solomon, founder and CEO of Emmerenco, working to change the chicken business from the ground up. We're going to talk about transparency and their first VR chicken experience. We're going to talk about regenerative agriculture and what the role of chicken and livestock is, but also about their challenges, their challenges with investors and their relatively short time frame. But everything in agriculture takes time, especially building soil. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why am I focused on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started... I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered. I'm Koen van Seyen, your host. In the podcast of today, I'm joined by Jesse Solomon, founder and CEO of Emmer Co., a former investment manager who since 2015 sells heritage chickens from regenerative farms. I'm going to ask all about it. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks so much, Con, for having me. Excited to, to talk. I always love to start with a personal question, and, and I think in this case it makes, uh, makes a lot of sense as well. How do you end up in uh, regenerative agriculture to begin with, but heritage chickens as a niche within the niche of the niche? <laughs> so about 10 or actually more than that now years ago I read a book called Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer and after I finished that book I instantly became a vegetarian. I decided that I couldn't eat the meat that uh I was eating anymore unless I knew exactly where it came from and I had a personal connection to it. So I started to hunt and for me that was that was the only way that I could trust that what I was eating was pure that the animal was respected um and that it was the healthiest and and, and purest form of of food that I could eat and that it tasted just amazing. So through hunting I discovered a love and, and connection to food that I'd never had before. And it wasn't just about my own personal journey, journey, but it was about bringing that meat back for, for family and friends and cooking these amazing wild game dinners and seeing how much more they appreciated their food when I could connect them in that extremely personal, intimate way. And that was really the genesis of Emmer & Co. It, was, it started off as a question. It was, you know, is there, is there an opportunity out there where I can create a food company that can replicate that as close to wild experience for as many people as possible. And what did that mean? And 
when we when I stripped away kind of the layers of where I wanted to focus, the two things that were the most important were going back to animals that grew the way they were supposed to. So, you know, they weren't manipulated for fast growth or, you know, any kind of, um, you know, non-welfare optimization and raising those animals holistically with the environment so that you could actually improve, improve the land. And it, it you know, these days you hear the, uh, the phrase a lot of being carbon neutral, but it felt like we really had an opportunity to, to actually improve the soil health sequester more carbon, grow taller grasses, actually be a, have a net positive impact on, the, on land um, just by growing animals the way they used to be grown. And, and do you still remember, because this is quite a, a big um, moment, I can imagine, when you, you first saw that, that agriculture or, or meat eating actually could have a positive effect on the land. Do you still remember when you came across that and what that did to you? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, I, I kind of had an intuitive sense for a long time. Uh, I spent a lot of time in, in Africa and in other, um, other emerging markets where there w- wasn't a whole lot of industrialized, mechanized agriculture. And so, you know, historically, if farmers wanted to continue to farm in land that they lived in, you had to farm holistically. There, there wasn't this, you know, this, this phrase regenerative agriculture. I mean, it used to just be called farming because if you didn't, regenerate the soil health and let land rest and you know have these holistic practices you would ruin the land and you wouldn't be able to grow any food for your family so i was um always exposed to that way of doing things but when we when we started emmer and co and we started with building uh, our first regional production hub on the west coast i needed to find a farmer who could partner with me who appreciated the this way of raising animals and the first time I was introduced to our current farmer, um, who is is our partner in, in production, um, Tyler up in Red Bluff, and I went out to meet him. And when we toured his property, he basically spent the first hour not even talking about chicken. <laughs> we spent the first hour running around his ranch, where he kept pointing out various perennial grasses, um, like the the purple needle grass and, and others. And we were talking about clovers as indicators of nitrogen fixing. And it was like a crash course in soil health. And again, we barely said even the word chicken. And I knew that this was, um, this was the guy that, you know, that I wanted to work with. And, you know, furthermore, the, the way that it really hit home was when, you know, you could see the results of this, you know, he had been farming holistically, uh, for the last 10 years and the soil on his property was extremely fertile. And even in a drought year, this was before a lot of the major rains came um, in California over this, over the last winter, but the soil health, the soil was healthy. There was um, kind of this meadow of, of grasses. Um, the seeds were really soft, um, which is another indicator of, you know, of health. And yeah, you could just, you could see the results. Yeah. That sounds extremely interesting and also at the same time a story that i've heard many times where it starts with soil and then the, the in this case the chickens etc are almost a tool to build that and of course you need to find a business model and um, to to work with those tools and so you started to then you, you focus on chickens and how did you build up how, how does emmerin co work at the moment um, if i want to get chickens where, where can i get them how does it 
uh, end up in my oven. Yeah, so we're we're a wholesale business. Um, where we sell mostly to distributors and other partners who can then get our product, our chickens, um, to to various consumers, whether it's direct at your house um, or if you're dining in a restaurant. So right now, um, we sell to uh, distributors who then sell to retail channels. Um, we also sell to distributors who sell to, to restaurants and other food service operators. And then we work with great online partners um, who distribute direct to, to the consumer people like Good Eggs in San Francisco, um, Amazon Fresh nationally, other partners like Wild Idea Buffalo. Um, and yeah, these are, you know, this is, this is right now, you know, our, for, our, for the fresh products, we're limited through logistics to the West Coast, but eventually we'd like to expand our production model on the East Coast and, and further afield um, and make, make sure that our slow growth pasture-raised chickens are as widely available for consumers as possible. And when it came to, I mean, we're getting into the, the, the juicy details, when it came to choosing, choosing the tick chicken, where did you go? Because you come from, from an investment background and, and knew a lot about hunting and cooking. Where do you go to find these chickens and, and that fit so well on these lands and it actually are the closest thing, as you said, you can basically get to, to wild? Yeah, so you kind of start at the beginning. You you go back, you do a lot of research. You you first have to understand how the chicken industry evolved um, and how we ended up at our at the current um, you know with with the current system, which predominantly raises uh, a Cornish cross breed, which is the, the type of chicken that's kind of the modern conventional chicken. And that chicken, for some context, grows to uh, market weight in about forty two days, sometimes a little less. Um, and that has nothing to do with hormones or um, anything like that. It, it's truly through uh, breeding over over decades um, that they've able been able to um, identify various genetic markers that allow um, these birds to put on meat very fast. And what that means is when you have a bird that grows that quickly, its muscles outgrow its skeletal system. It has severe welfare issues and health issues. It's um, it's, it's heart is the same size as it was a hundred years ago and yet now has twice the muscle mass that it has to pump blood through. So you have heart problems, you have lung problems, you have leg problems. And so when you, when you understand this, the context of this industry, it becomes easier to identify where we kind of went off the wrong, you know, on the wrong track. And so we were able to find, you know, older breeds of chicken, we call them slow growth breeds that were, you know, still developed with meat so that you, you could, you know, have good, good yield on the carcass. Um, you, it, they wouldn't really be like those yard birds that, you know, a lot of people are used to in various countries, but the, these were, um, bred for, for production, but still have, you know, the, the slow growth so that their body and anatomy grows in sync with itself and it develops a, ha- a healthy immune system. So you never need antibiotics. And because they, their muscle and skeletal systems grow together, it means they're really active and they can run around and they can do all the things that chickens do, which are important for, for a soil-based regenerative production model where you want the chickens running around, you want them scratching up the soil, you, you need them to be uh, warriors in the system and, and, and agents of, of that kind of healthy change. And when you look at those farms, they fit in a larger system. They fit in a holistic management system. Can you briefly describe for anyone who's listening and, and hasn't seen that or hasn't heard about that, how they fit in there and what their role is? 
Yeah, of course. So it depends on the region. So, you know, obviously the environment in every part of the every part of the world is not the same. Um, so what this looks like in South Dakota is very different from what it looks like in California. And even in California, what it looks like where we raise birds in Northern California is going to be different than what it looks like, you know, closer to the coast. So just keep in mind that, you know, it's a, it's a general term to describe farming in sync with the environment and never over impacting any one part of the ecosystem. So for us, it primarily means raising multiple species of animals in the same area of land and rotating those pastures with cover crops and rest so that you can always ensure that you're putting the right amount of um, nutrients into the soil and creating a healthy microbial environment so that you can grow deeper root structures and encourage perennial growth and grow taller grasses. So for us, we have cattle on the property, and that, that, that those are the first, obviously this is a cycle, but if you imagine the cattle um, are in one pasture and they're trimming the grasses and um, depositing their manure, and then once the cattle move off of that pasture, then you come in with the chickens, and the chickens will forage and scratch up the cattle manure, help break that up and spread it around. Their manure is, is much richer and has a different NPK compos- composition. And it's, it's ex- extremely fertile. And then once the chickens leave those pastures, you come back in with no-till cover crops, which are a varying mix of, ver- of different legumes and, and other, other annuals that, again, help with deeper root structure and create that complex um, soil aggregate. And after the, the no-till cover crop comes in, then you're going to let those pastures rest for at least six months or more. Um, and then that whole pr- – and then, again, you start the whole process again. And so when you have this – kind of symbiotic relationship between chickens and ruminants like cattle or sheep um, and then cover crops and rest, you get a, a really healthy engine that, that kind of starts working on its own. And, and when you look at the farms and the farmers you work with, what, what makes, what, what's the difference for them working with you um, and, and selling those heritage chickens through, through you instead of maybe doing it themselves or what's the difference it means for in their daily lives? Yeah, so our model is is very different. You know, as we grow, what we're excited about is rethinking all the parts of a meat production model. So not not only the animals we grow, uh, making sure they're healthy and slow growing, not only the way we produce these animals, so with regenerative practices um, that improve the soil health, and we're constantly thinking about about that aspect, but it's also about the workers that we work with and what kind of company are we. And so I like to, we always say that the co in our name, it actually doesn't stand for company. I, we, I intentionally named it this to stand for community. Um, and I like when people say, oh, Emmer and company, and I get to correct them. And I say, no, actually the co, it stands for community. And that was important to us because I wanted to make sure that um, the, the community of, of people, whether it's our customers, um, our, you know, our employees or the workers we, we have in, in, you know, in the organization, that they're front and center of everything we do. So what we get excited about is, again, flipping the model around. Up to now, most meat production has been built on a contract model where workers are extremely disintermediated from the end product that gets produced. And you have, so you have a contract model on one end of a, of a system, and on the other end, you would have a, a co-op model like Organic Valley. 
And I think there's room in the middle um, where we can take elements of a co-op where you can have profit sharing pools and um, upward mobility and shared knowledge and, you know, a community of people that you can work with and, and really not feel like you're isolated. And yet actually also have elements of a company where we can employ the workers, we can give them health benefits, we can, you know, um, provide a pathway to being part of a bigger system. You know, because of the land, the, the way we grow these birds, it's not it's not likely that you're going to find hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who have the land base to do this kind of work, have the knowledge to do it, have the systems in place to do it. So we get excited about creating um, a different model where we can hire these workers. They can be trained on you know in you know on training farms and then eventually they could even manage farms if they wanted to they could eventually if they wanted to even transition you know into the marketing department or other parts of the organization you know they would have the opportunity to do that and if you look at the the business i mean you started in 2015 um, what if we look it's now july 2017 if we look a year ago uh, what has changed since then and uh, what was let's say the most difficult or maybe the most challenging, what really kept you up at night in the last year? And what can you share about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, pretty much everything keeps me up at night. Uh, when you're, I mean, this is what we're trying to do, which is rebuild a meat industry from the ground up. Literally. Yeah. yeah literally from the ground up. Um, it's, it's really hard. You know, this, this supply chain of food production, you know, th people barely have a glimpse at what this means. Our current food system is really, 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 really good at getting a whole lot of bad food to the most amount of people at the cheapest price. And they've built billions of dollars of infrastructure that help support that cycle of bad food to the most amount of people at the cheapest price. And they control all that infrastructure. So if you're trying to start a new kind of company that uh, that is trying to think differently about that supply chain, it's really challenging to stitch together infrastructure when you're really small because food production is about scale. And even for us, you know, we want to get bigger. We want to scale the right way. We want our regenerative practices to be, you know, so widely practiced, practiced that they're, they're everywhere in America and hopefully even um, further afield. But it, it's it's a challenge, um, and you have to work with a lot of great um, partners as you go, and trust them, and and you know kind of stitch that system together until you get to a big enough scale where you can actually integrate some of those pieces of the supply chain. So I'd say what's changed since a year ago is um, the appreciation for what we do. You know, we we half of what we do is rebuilding the supply chain and, and the other half of what we do is education um, and marketing what it means to be regenerative, um, what it means to go back to slow growth breeds and, you know, help people connect to food that, you know, for, again, for 60 to 100 years, they haven't had this option. And so they're less familiar with what these words mean. Um, you know, organic was really great, did an amazing job at teaching people to look at labels But now we have to teach people to look beyond the label because it's been too easy for large companies to take these labels that people think mean healthy um, and, you know, they may or they may not. And so now, you know, we, again, we have to teach people to go beyond the label, to ask questions about breeds, to ask, you know, ask to see videos of where their food's produced 
um, you know, we put a virtual reality tour on our website at www.emmerandco.com slash experience. And it's a, it, as far as I know, it's the first VR chicken experience on the internet. And we did it to show people like, this is our food. Like there's no secrets. There's nothing to hide, you know, and we want to, we can, we can be a hundred percent transparent. And I, I think consumers these days need to demand that level of transparency. And if, if, if producers or, or companies they're currently buying from can't provide this to them, you know, they should probably ask why. I think the education part is, is key there. And at the same time, very challenging if you are operating in or, or living in food deserts and, and operating in, in places where you don't have access to that. Of course, the internet is helping in that. And what have you been working on? There's something concrete on the last, I mean, the VR one is definitely one, but are, were there other things in the last few months that you're very excited about that, that just went live or the things that are rolling out or things that are part of the, the operation that, that really make, made a difference? I mean, the VR experience was was a was a great start. You know, for us, it's uh, you know, again, we're educating a market that's been used to a certain kind of food system for a very very long time. So our education initiatives uh, will never end. They're they're a constant thing, and I get excited about it because that's it's 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 so fun to be able to help connect people to where their food comes from in this really transparent manner. So the VR experience, we're going to be um, continually putting out white papers and infographics and data around what regenerative means um, in, our, in our practices. You know, as we grow throughout this year, we're going to be bringing on more food customers. We're going to be expanding to different markets like Los Angeles. And as we do this, we're going to be organizing more events, whether it's community dinners or other other various, you know, kind of grassroots initiatives where we're excited about, you know, continuing to spread these messages. And, and when you started at the beginning, did you start, how did you start? Did you have any investors or, or what was the, the birth of, of basically Emmer and Co? And what was it like in the first, uh, first period? Yeah, so no, we don't, we don't have any outside investors. Um, we're self-funded to date. There aren't a lot of investors who truly understand animal agriculture production. There's a lot of investors who understand that sector uh, at the private equity level when you're when you're a little bit bigger and profitable and you want to scale your infrastructure. There's a there's um, you know those organizations have been financing the, the the industrial food companies for a very long time, but from zero to one. Um, this kind of early stage capital, there's there's very few investors who have the history of investing in this space. Did you meet and talk to many or not? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I, um, anyone who answers the phone. <laughs> Probably to all of them. Uh, yeah, I've talked to a lot. And um, what are the two most common barriers that, that you find apart from that they don't know it? I can imagine a lot, especially if you tell the story, are interested in it, but what has made it so far not a match? Yeah, everyone's very interested in it. The not knowing it, so being outside the scope of their current remit or you know what they're used to investing in, that's that's really important. You know, I mean, it's that's an easy way for investors to lose a lot of money is investing in things that they don't understand. <laughs> um, but what that means is it creates a cycle where it's hard to kind of push people into a new thing if if they haven't had the experience of doing it. If they never tried, if they yeah. never tried it. So you know, I think they're. There needs to be some activity on the investor side of them getting up to speed with what this means and, and learning, um, you know, on their own. Um, but the I'd say the largest challenge 
once they even possibly do learn about animal agriculture, uh, meat production, et cetera, is uh, the time horizon. So, you know, we're used in, well, certain sectors of investment are used to a certain return profile and getting their money back in a certain time frame. Um, they're often investing out of, uh, in, out of vehicles that are structured in, in 10-year time horizons. You know, it's animals take a long time to grow, right? If we're talking about changing soil health, that's that's not an overnight process, and you're you're never going to have the same kind of returns that you might have if you're if you're used to investing in a technology company. You know, a, a cow can takes takes many years to grow, <laughs> and that already would bite into you know um, a ten year fund. So, you know, I think there needs to be some reorientation of expectations of if you want to invest in animal agriculture or agriculture, broadly speaking, and you have to understand that the time horizon and the return profile is extremely different. Now for me, I think that's exciting because it provides diversification and kind of longer term stability. Um, but it's, it's, it's just something that people are going to have to, uh, you know, get comfortable with. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Yeah, get off the... Also because a lot of these investments... That, that have this extremely high return profile. Of course, also have the extremely high risk profile that we often forget about because we only hear the stories of the, the, the 20x returns and 20x exits, etc. But yeah, you can, even if you would like to do that, you can only do it with a, a small part of your portfolio and yet to be diversified and, and to have a connection with real assets. Agriculture seems to be a very interesting, a very interesting angle. And then, of course, as far as I'm, con- I'm concerned, regenerative agriculture. Um, has a completely different risk profile than, than chemical or industrial, however we call it. And in terms of, so you have been self-funded so far, uh, you, you're going well, I, I assume. Uh, what's what's up for the next, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of uh, education parts, but let's say until the end of the year in terms of, of um, there are going to be there gonna be new cities, etc. are going to be fundamental things inside the company that are changing as well that you're working on and that you could share? Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're looking to expand our team primarily on the marketing side. So, you know, if there's any great folks out there who are excited about marketing the future of agriculture and future of farming, um, you know, please get in touch. And yeah, the expansion of our customer base. So we're, you know, we've, we've um, focused a lot on the San Francisco Bay Area for our restaurant food service customers. Um, this at the by the end of the summer, um, early fall, we'll be expanding with some really great um, customers and distributors in the Los Angeles area, and so that's going to be really exciting to just um, start working with some other great chefs and be able to you know touch consumers in, in more areas. And as we as we expand that those customer bases, that just allows us more resources to keep producing more content, keep educating. And just keep growing our supply chain. So those are the the big initiatives. It's all about growing the right way, but 
slow growing yeah slow like slow exactly we want we want to grow the right way which is like our birds like growing slowly but you know at the same time we do want to get bigger so that eventually we can you know own various pieces of our supply chain so we can keep bringing our cost structure down our whatever our current you know pricing is purely based on demand and and the economies of scale that we get with working with third-party supply chain partners so eventually if we own our own processing plant if we can contract directly for feed, you know, all of these pieces allow us to keep reducing our pricing and, you know, make sure that we can get the most affordable product that is the, you know, healthiest and, and best for the land to the most people. And, and just to get it out of the way, you mentioned feed. I, I've seen some articles on that. You are um, sometimes supplementing the feed of the chickens with a non-GMO almost organic feed right that's the, the the feed you're mentioning here yeah so the the chickens are on pasture 100 of their lives like we from day one to the time they're um, so they're brooded out on pasture they don't even have a barn right there's no barns there's everything you know again you come to the website and you can see um what we mean when we talk about yeah we'll definitely link it below it's a great experience <laughs> when, we, when we when we say pasture raised this is what we mean we mean no barns movable hoop houses you know they're they're on pasture for as early as possible but that but so they're getting seeds and bugs and you know all sorts of things from the pastures but they you still have to supplement with feed that primarily is comprised of protein and, and carbohydrates and right now um, we work with third-party mills to to supply that. Mostly, our you know most of the sources of the feed are sourced um, within California for the West Coast production. Um, what we get excited about is as we grow and we can get to we have larger buying power, we'll be able to work with specific farmers who will be growing feed also in a regenerative process where we'll, we're going to be working on no-tilling. We're working on you know, crops that are able to create really deep root structures, um, rotating with the right kind of mix that is always ensuring, again, healthy soil, complex aggregates, you know, these deep root systems that help trap ra more rainwater and, you know, sequester carbon. So it's just a process, you know, you have to, you can't solve every problem, you know, on day one, but it's exciting that we're, we're getting closer and closer to be able to you know, keep fixing all these parts of the supply chain, you know, as we get bigger. And I want to end with a question there, actually, it's a two-folded question. That processing part, or actually your supply chain or supply stream, as some people in this podcast have, have called it, is that an interesting uh, angle for, for impact investors who want to get into the regenerative agriculture space? In your specific case, would it be something that you're looking for for funding at some point, maybe not now, but maybe in the future? And in general, if you would be a smart impact investor, where would you start if you want to get into the regenerative agriculture space? Yeah, great question. So if you want to get into the regenerative agriculture space, I think first you have to think about what part of that sector you want to focus on. Do you want to focus on you know, meat production? Do you want to focus on the grain side of it? Do you want to focus on aquaculture and you know the fish industry you know there are very there are very different uh, parts of of regenerative agriculture that all you know have the same goals in mind the insect meal industry as a replacement for 
soy and feed is a fascinating industry, something we get very excited about. I know the European industry is, um, I think, a little further along than the U.S. industry. Um, that's a that's a really fascinating sector. When it comes to our supply chain, the milling and the grain side of it, you know, definitely there are third party companies. That's all they do, and then you know you will that there is there is a multi billion dollar global feed industry, and and so that that is definitely a sector that's. That is interesting. Um, on the processing plant side, it tends to be that those are not necessarily part. Those are not necessarily independent businesses that you would want to own. Rather, they're they are integrated pieces of a, of an integrated you know company. And so, for us, you know, we will definitely look at you know raising capital for you know financing those kind of pieces of our supply chain. You know, when we get to that stage. But I think that there's a really exciting opportunity to work with early stage companies like us and others who want to get to that stage. And, you know, the, a, a small amount of capital in these early stages can really help us accelerate that process. Yeah, because that, that would be actually my final question. I said it before, but this is my final one. <laughs> what would you need to, to double your impact? And, and it could be investment, it could be much bigger education, it could be nonprofit, it could be what would you envision for the next let's say five years to, or next few years actually, because you're still relatively small to really double your impacts of hectares or birds. What would you measure? What would you look at if you want to achieve that? Sure. So it would be investment to scale up our regenerative practices so that we could eventually have the scale to justify owning a processing plant, contracting directly with feed mills so that we could get our cost structure down. So the faster we can get our cost down of our product allows us to expand our market dramatically and really opens up new distribution channels and new customers. And so the, f the faster we can get our pricing down closer to where the larger conventional meat businesses are, um, that allows us to accelerate our impact overnight. And do you see the larger meat industry as well? I mean, do you see them under attack basically from all sides? Are their prices going to go up at some point or that's just a race to the bottom uh, until we, we find out all the scandals and, and all of that? <laughs> you know, I think for a lot of the larger meat businesses, they're, you know, they've been operating in a, in a conventional commodity-based market. Um, you know, there is a global commodity, you know, chicken commodity business. There, You know, there is a... There are global prices for for beef, for chicken, for soy. You know these these commodities. So they're already operating in a certain um, system that won't really allow them to to raise prices. And you know there is a market for every price point. You know I I don't you know I don't see KFC necessarily disappearing. And you know KFC would never be able to afford our chicken um, based on, you know, what margins they need to hit and the price point of their products. And that's fine. You know, that I think what I get excited about is, again, it's choice. You know, right now, consumers in the U.S. and, and elsewhere, they don't have an alternative choice for, for chicken, for pasture-raised, you know, other meats that's at a price point that, you know, can make sense for them. So, you know, I think the big industrial food companies see the way that consumers are shifting and they want to get exposure to that. Um, but their, their core business is still very profitable and, and, and will be for quite some time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's very difficult to find 
unless you live next to an holistically managed farm who maybe is processing on the farm which is, is almost never the case it's very difficult to find right a meat and livestock that has been grown in the way that uh, we like it to be and uh, i think that's difficult in the us it's difficult here in europe and and hopefully that will be a lot easier soon so i want to thank you so much for your time and and whatever you shared and i definitely will be checking in and and see how fast you're doubling your impact and, and when the first processing plant will be there and the first direct contracts with uh, with the feed mills and the first insects of course <laughs> exactly thanks so much for having me con you just listened to an interview with jesse solomon founder and ceo of emmer co i hope you enjoyed our discussion about changing the chicken business from the ground up and i hope to see you back here soon for more of these podcasts If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.